AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. With increasing commodity prices, higher price volatility, and rising input costs, America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting 295 million acres of farmland and more than 120 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. Jennifer Sarangelo, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Thanks so much, Ken. It's my pleasure to uh, be here on AgriPulse today and to talk a little bit about where 4-H's future is heading. I think you're right. I'm sure there are many 4-H alumni like you who are among your uh, members and listeners. So uh, we do have a 112-year rich history, as you know, and uh, we absolutely believe that uh, young people are the single greatest resource we have in our country to create a better world. We really always have and always will continue to grow those kids that have confidence and purpose. And they're really the leaders and innovators that are going to fuel our economy and especially in our, our agriculture industry. So our uh, the vision of the Cooperative Extension 4-H program and priorities for the future are really ensuring that we give more young people access to this 4-H experience, no matter where they live, that really can change their world and put them on a trajectory for work and for life to be very productive. So there are a number of um, trends going on, you can imagine, in the demographics of America and in the interests of young people that will uh, that we're uh, tracking with and that are informing our work. But just a quick uh, snapshot is that Our 4-H today is serving 6.3 million young people in the United States and another 1 million young people around the world in 50 4-H country programs. And so uh, we are fortunate that our membership is stable. It fluctuates year to year, up and down a couple percent, but um, the importance of the 4-H program uh, is very real in local communities around the country. Jennifer, what is your biggest challenge on being able to secure funding for 4-H programs? Well, it it really is that there is always challenges for that. Um, We're fortunate first to begin by sharing that we are very fortunate to have significant um, support for 4-H programs at state, county, and federal levels. So we are um, really fortunate with that, but there are certainly challenges. And the, the biggest one would be probably that our investors, the people who care about the future of young people, that they may not know the full story, depth, and breadth of 4-H. So they may not understand. My sense is that if there is someone that's not investing in 4-H, it's because they probably aren't aware of what we're doing. So we have an opportunity to tell our story at every, in every county, in every town, uh, in a better way. If you look at uh, the youth today, um, I'm thinking that you can be a 4-H member from about nine years of age till close to 21. What are the challenges in getting kids to participate? Well, first is the age of 4-H. We have clover buds. You're right. Eight, eight years old to 18 years old is the traditional age of 4-H membership, although 
Um, you know, I'm sure your family and um, at least many siblings are involved in 4-H clubs. And so little sister and brother can't wait to get involved. So we have a Clover Buds program for young people aged 5 to 8. And we also have a collegiate 4-H program. These are not our largest, but they are available to those families and young people that want to continue that love 4-H so much and don't want to uh, either wait to be involved or to stop being involved just because they graduated high school. So we have great opportunities for that. We have almost a quarter of a million young people in our collegiate programs and um, and about a similar amount in our Cloverbud program. So it's a significant number of our six million. But um, you asked about what's going on with young people today and whether they want to join 4-H. What, um, just like anybody would know if you have young, if you have children today, you know that there are many competing priorities and pressures. What, what we find about why young people choose 4-H is a couple of reasons. First is they want to have fun. <laughs> and 4-H is fun. Ken, I'm sure you had fun in 4-H. I absolutely did. I remember it very fondly and it also gave me a chance to take part in out of school activities that were really what I wanted to do. I like the classroom, but I like those out-of-school activities as much as anything. You're exactly right, and you've pointed to the second thing. First is 4-H is fun, and they find their friends there. Second is that young people want, they have a natural curiosity to explore, and what 4-H lets them do is, as you say, outside the classroom where it's safe, they're not getting graded, they can explore their curiosity, whether it's animal science, plants, photography, um, any opportunity they want to explore, robotics, they can do that in a very safe and environment. The third thing is young people do have an interest in succeeding. They are thinking about their future, and what they see in 4-H is that they're going to build new skills that will allow them to be successful. So sometimes that's not their first reason for coming. It's mom's first reason for getting them involved, but the the life skills they build of public speaking, working in teams, working with adults, setting goals, overcoming obstacles. When you don't meet the goal, how do you reset your goal and compensate for that? Those are things that while a young person wouldn't start out saying, that's why I joined 4-H, it is why the teenagers stay in 4-H because they see the skills they're building, the advantage it gives them both in school, in college, and then on in their careers. How about in urban and uh, the uh, upscale suburban areas of the country? Is it a challenge to keep young people coming to the 4-H program in those settings? Well, Ken, what I would share with you is that in my experience and from what our data shows is that 4-H in those settings is typically more with higher age middle school and teenagers. I've uh, been fortunate over the last couple of months to be visiting some of our flagship urban programs, and so I was in Tucson, Arizona, about a few weeks ago, where I was working with a group of 4-H health ambassadors that were reflective of the diversity of the community in Tucson, who were teenagers in 4-H, teaching younger 4-Hers about nutrition, how to make healthy choices. Many of those teenage health ambassadors had lost 50 pounds themselves and were changing their lives, their communities, and then spreading their passion for that and eating more fruits and vegetables to littler ones. A couple weeks before that, I was in New York City, which is Cornell Cooperative Extension's program at the Food and Finance High School on 9th Avenue between 58th and 59th Street in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood. And who knew that there was a 4-H club 
doing aquaponics and hydroponics and culinary uh, 4-H projects in the basement of their high school in Manhattan. So that was a really fun visit where I got to see the plants being grown, the fish grown, how they take that. They work with the Food Network, and the young people in the culinary 4-H program get to prepare that, and they learn about the business of agriculture. It is very exciting work in our urban areas. Jennifer, let me turn to um, something else that's historic but also important, and that is the Smith-Lever Act is at its centennial year now. And I understand the National 4-H Council trustees, a couple of them, have actually been testifying to uh, make sure that there's an appreciation for uh, extension and 4-H in Congress. Yes, we are uh, so proud of the 4-H Association and true... um, true leadership with Cooperative Extension and the Smith-Lever Act. We have um, a couple of our trustees, Delbert Foster from South Carolina State University, who serves on our board, and one of our youth trustees, Tess Hammock, who's a University of Georgia uh, student today and an alum of the Georgia 4-H program. They were very um, articulate along with Sunny Ramaswamy, the director of NIFA, and uh, other members of Cooperative Extension a few weeks ago on the Hill talking about the importance of the Smith-Lever Act, the creation of Cooperative Extension, and how Cooperative Extension's mission to ensure that the land-grant university research that we're all so proud of in agriculture and family science and health and nutrition was reaching its youngest citizens through the 4-H program. And it's historically been the way 4-H has delivered our program, and it continues today, and it's the reason 4-H is so strong and in every single community is because of that Smith-Lever funding that allows Cooperative Extension to maintain a county office and a 4-H educator in every county so every citizen has access to 4-H. Well, Jennifer Sarangelo, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and um, I think there are a lot of 4-Hers who'd love to grow up and have a career like your own, and uh You're a great role model for them of uh, being able to step into this executive position at a very young age and uh, to lead an organization that certainly has an exciting future to it. So thank you again for speaking with us on AgriPulse Open Mic. Thank you so much, Ken. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by the crop insurance industry, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. I'm Ken Root.